I managed the unwanted attention for five months. I asked him to stop seven times. It never stopped. To say that I should step aside, that's the same thing as Rauner saying I should step aside, which I don't plan to do. I would never make it a target of mine to say, I'm going to go after the poor people and not the rich people. In actuality, it should be the opposite. That's why we are here to correct whatever problems we need to correct. Once again, there was no shortage of drama when it comes to the past week in Illinois politics. We'll translate it for you here on WBEZ's Illinois Elections 2018 podcast. I'm Mel Ballara, and I'm joined by WBEZ political reporters Tony Arnold and Becky Vivi. This week, one of the most powerful politicians in Illinois got put through the ringer when he was accused of waiting too long to act on a claim of sexual harassment against one of his top aides. So, Tony Arnold, first bring us up to speed on what happened this week within the political organization of House Speaker Michael Madigan. Well, this week began with Speaker Madigan announcing that he had fired a top political aide, um, and that aide was accused of harassing another employee. Uh, that employee was Elena Hampton. She's a campaign consultant who worked for Speaker Madigan's powerful political organization. Uh, she said that her supervisor repeatedly sent her unwanted text messages during the 2016 campaign, and that once she later told Madigan what had happened, no action was taken against her harasser until she went to the Chicago Tribune, which was three months later. And we've talked a lot about the details of this particular instance of sexual harassment this week, but I'd like to focus for a minute just on the fallout of the story becoming public. What consequences would you say Speaker Madigan is facing because of his handling of all this? I guess what I would say is if you don't know the name Michael Madigan, you know, he's been House Speaker in Springfield longer than anyone has been Speaker of any House of Representatives anywhere else in the country. He's also the chairman of the Illinois Democratic Party. Obviously, he's very powerful. And he's been able to keep that stay in power because he's helping Democrats win House seats. So with that in mind, there's been some reluctance among Democrats to say whether Madigan and the people working for him properly managed this complaint. Uh, Madigan's political rivals have said he should resign, but Madigan himself has said he's not going to do that. So he's getting some pressure. Um, yeah. And this question of whether three months is too long to investigate Hampton's text messages has really been prompting a variety of responses from the Democratic candidates who are running for governor. What have you heard about the responses from the candidates and how they've been different? Yeah, I think this will help illustrate a little bit about where the campaigns are for voters. Um, in the instance of J.B. Pritzker, he's been endorsed by many of the Democratic organizations around the state with direct ties to Madigan. Um, and he was one of those who was a little reluctant to criticize Madigan. Reporters had to ask and then ask and then ask and then ask some more to get him to answer what he thought of Madigan's management. Uh, and after several minutes, here's the most critical that Pritzker was of Speaker Madigan. So far, what I know is that there were reports that were made and not enough was done early enough. Now, you can contrast that response with Chris Kennedy, who says that Madigan needs to temporarily step down as chairman of the state Democratic Party. Um, Kennedy says as more information comes out about his handling of the harassment complaint, then they can decide whether to reinstate him as leading the party. But Madigan says, again, he's not stepping down. Also, uh, State Senator Daniel Biss said that it's not right to fire one person and then think the situation's been addressed or even to call for the resignation just to end up with some kind of sloppy political fix. So he says an outside investigation is appropriate here. And Becky, I want to bring you in at this point because it turns out that this story has some implications not just in the Illinois State House, 
but also for Chicago City Hall. Explain that connection for us. So the man who Hampton says harassed her for all these months in 2016 is actually the brother of Alderman Marty Quinn. Marty Quinn represents a, a ward on the southwest side, overlaps with Madigan's district. Alderman Quinn did release a short statement saying that he and Hampton did talk about this harassment, but that he didn't tell anyone because he wanted to protect her privacy. Since this all came to light earlier this week, he hasn't made any more public appearances. Um, So we're not really sure where his future lies. Are people calling on Alderman Quinn to step down? So other aldermen have weighed in, but sort of by not really weighing in at all. Let's uh, take a listen to what some of them had to say this week. I I don't know the facts of it, so I I really couldn't comment on it. Don't know enough details to give you that much information on whether he should step down. I just want to get all the facts. I think the young lady that came forward is very brave. I I think the voters will determine Marty's fate. It's less than a year before our next election. Those are the voices of Pat O'Connor, Michelle Harris, Sue Sudlowski-Garza, and Alderman Howard Brookins. And what's interesting is if Quinn does step down, there's sort of an irony in the chain of events that would be set off. Because typically when an alderman steps down, the ward committeeman gets a big say in who the replacement is. Well, in Quinn's ward, the committeeman is none other than Michael Madigan. So, you know, with the 2019 election for alderman around the corner... It's kind of up in the air. And if he were to step down, an appointment would have a leg up in that election. So I want to turn just a little bit to uh, what's going on in the Republican primary for Governor Tony. I want to bring you back in because you've been doing a lot of reporting on what's happening in the Illinois Veterans Home in Quincy. And things just don't seem to be getting better there. It was announced this week that three more residents got sick from Legionnaire's disease. How are the candidates approaching the situation at this point? Uh, on the Republican side, it's, they're, they're approaching it quite differently. Uh, Governor Rauner not only defends his administration's response to the outbreaks, but he also wants to budget up to $50 million in upgrades. Um, this could go toward new plumbing or a new building. All that's still being worked out, what they're going to do. But the point is that Rauner says when you're dealing with an elderly population who are vulnerable, um, you can't just close the place down and, and move them. So he's keeping them there, even though, as you said, three more people got sick this week. Now, you can contrast Rauner's approach with State Representative Jeannie Ives, who this week said that residents there should be moved out um, while the state's deciding what to do. So it's a very different approach than the one that Rauner's taking. And meantime, the third resident diagnosed this week was actually Governor Rauner's guest at his State of the State address, according to the Chicago Tribune. Um, Rauner lived at the veterans' home for nearly a week after we reported on how his administration waited six days to tell the public of the first outbreak there. And so then he brought a couple of the residents that he met while he was living there to the state house for his big speech, his big state of the state speech, in which he said, we'll fight against legionnaires as hard as our veterans fought for us. This, this resident is, according to the public, Department of Public Health, um, in stable condition. So that story is not over by any stretch. No. One of the pocketbook races that a lot of people are watching, if we could switch gears just a little bit, there's been a lot of news out of the Cook County Assessor's Office Becky, there is a lot to unpack here. Give us a lay of the land here. Sure. So for folks who don't know, the assessor is the guy or gal in your county who figures out how to split up the yearly property tax bill among all the homeowners in the county. 
it seems like a really obscure office, but it is important because it hits your pocketbook. And if that calculation goes awry, some people can end up paying more than they should in property taxes, while others end up paying less than they should. In fact, a Chicago Tribune and ProPublica investigation last year found that's exactly what's happening in Cook County. Now, the guy who runs that office here in Cook County is Joseph Berrios. He's also the chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party. So, you know, he's a big political player. And he is facing a challenger in next month's primary. Now, this study, which was pretty long awaited, didn't really have a lot of surprises. There was a lot of really damning information in here. What did it find? So the report that was released this week was done by the Civic Consulting Alliance. They got a lot of access to staff and data in Berrios' office. And their findings really did echo what the Tribune and ProPublica found, which is that people with expensive homes file more appeals to get their bills lowered, and people with more modest homes tend to pay more in property taxes than they should be. They have higher rates, essentially, because they're being over-assessed, while other properties are under-assessed. And I will say that this study did, however, leave out commercial properties, industrial properties, and any residential properties with more than six units, so most of the condos in Chicago. Those were not included in this study. So how's this playing out then in the race? I can't imagine it's good news for Joseph Berrios. Well, so Berrios, in responding, said five ways to Sunday that he will implement whatever recommendations the Civic Consulting Alliance makes. He says his administration has already been working on implementing changes and repeated that this problem actually predated him by decades. And, you know, that has been documented that previous assessors oversaw similar patterns, if you will. However, Berrios is facing a challenger in the upcoming March primary. His name's Fritz Kagi, and he immediately said after the study was released that we can just add it to the mountain of studies that found Cook County's property tax system is totally out of whack. He also says Berrios has had seven years to fix it and hasn't done so yet, so he should be voted out of office. Kagi also got a boost this week when a third candidate was booted from the ballot for Cook County Assessor, making this race a two-man race. And before we wrap things up, as we do every week, we want to take you behind the scenes to show you what democracy sounds like. So what was the best thing that you heard that didn't make it on the radio this week, Becky? Well, Melva, it maybe wasn't the best thing that I've heard all week, but it was definitely the longest. Let me introduce you to a man named Frank Avila. He is a well-known attorney who specializes in ballot challenges. We heard about those in a previous week from our colleague Claudia Morrell. Avila's been defending Andrea Rayla's fight to be on the ballot for Cook County Assessor. And this week, during closing arguments, he took a dozen or so people sitting in a basement room in the Pedway on a pretty fantastic oratorical journey. With the series of errors from the county and the series of problems that we've had, we think there's a problem here. A bond officer would not allow him to be called as a witness. He has a very gravelly voice. If any of you are followers of hip-hop, I'm not sure if you are, he sounded like tone low. I mean, who's counting? The county has his 2,000. There's so many false things said in this. It reminds me of Bath Act 5, Scene 5. Now, the other issue that um, great, great bias, not only are these affidavits nonsensical, they make no sense. Because if you A couple other things that I want to point out another to you. Another case I'd like to cite, which I haven't cited yet. When there's a you can't bring it to a halt pretty soon. Okay. You've been going for about an hour and a half now. When, and there's a lot, and we did 12 days of veterinary hearing. We need to give the other side a chance to speak. <laughs> Shakespeare and Tone Loke. Uh, nice. Yeah, I guess. So in total, Avila spoke for about two hours. And at the end, another reporter in the room leaned over to me and, and said he had sat through 
through shorter closing arguments in death penalty cases. All right, Becky Vivi, thanks very much. Becky covers Chicago city politics for WBEZ, and Tony Arnold covers state politics. Thanks to you both. Thank you. Thanks. You can download WBEZ's Elections 2018 podcast in Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. This is WBEZ. WBEZ.